This morning's scripture is from the prophet Isaiah, one of the classic scriptures of Advent. Um, Isaiah's writing from a dark place at a dark time. Listen to what he says to people enduring this darkness. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The round ground shall become level, the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Hear what the prophet is saying to you this morning. Amen. I love Advent. I really love Advent. It always sneaks up so fast, but the spirit of all that it opens just makes me look toward Christmas and the coming of light and the coming of a new year and the coming of things being made new. I think I would say the same thing if I lived in the Southern Hemisphere, where they're on the cusp of summer and long days right now. But every year as we descend into winter and the last of the autumn leaves drop off the trees and the sun rises at 7.05 and sets at 4.25, it just makes me love Advent and the coming of this time and the coming of Christmas even more. And I long for God in a deeper way. For generations, Advent was a spiritual season of waiting and hoping, of seeing the world and imagining the beauty and what hope and joy and peace could be. And like every liturgical season, it returns again and again to welcome us home. It comes reminding us of God's desire to be with us, and giving thanks that somehow something is coming, and not just a baby in a manger, this universal, cosmic Christ, the Christ that's forever being born into humanity and the power of God's love. So we light candles in Advent, doing so and trusting that a greater light is on the rise and that we can sense and sense that hope even if we can't see it or feel it now. God is always making things new, and we can always have hope. I love that Cheryl (laughs) loves Advent. (laughs) Because I'm struggling to feel the same way. For me, the season is about incarnation. It's about thinking about specific people, specific groups of people. And my heart feels heavy. Think about people who are stuck in addiction and can't get out. and the people who love them 
and don't know how to hope. Think about all the older people who struggling to hear, struggling to read, struggling to walk. struggling with the magnitude of grief and loss that is heavy on them. And wouldn't know what to make of these words that a path will be cleared for them, or might not know how to make sense of those words, a path will be cleared for them. I think about the children that Betsy talked about this morning. many of whom worldwide will get nothing for Christmas, nothing. And there won't be a string of meals for them where there's more than enough and then enough left over. And I wonder, I wonder, okay, it's Advent 1, fantastic. But what's the sermon for them? What's the sermon? What does the sermon sound like? How does it land? And how would they then hold to something that we light a candle for? So Cheryl, what's the wisdom in the scripture? I think it points us to something a little different, Carter. I, I look at Isaiah. I look at where he was writing from. And he, things have been bad for thousands of years. These people were in exile. They were kicked out of their homeland. Everything they held dear was taken from them. And... I don't think Isaiah contemplated Advent and us being here today, but exile is a theme that comes up again and again in the Bible. And exile comes up again and again in our lives. And in the lives of all of humanity, we were all always at some time struggling in a desert or a wilderness or global conflict. And Isaiah frames this whole Advent story by taking us back to ancient Israel, waiting to see what God is going to do. It's written by someone who's suffering, for people who are suffering. And I would actually venture to say that given the conflict right now in Gaza, that people are still waiting to see what God is going to do. It's not devoid of conflict, but God has done a lot since the Babylonian exile in about 500. The history of the Hebrew people has never lacked for dark times. Um, and Jerusalem at this time had fallen into ruins. And the people had, were just thinking about their ruins. They'd begun to forget God. And here you have Isaiah trying to help them sense God and sense hope. 
And during this time, Isaiah starts speaking to them about the darkness, this beautiful, unwavering hope of what God can do and be in the world. And not just for now, but for the world to come. And we're not back with Isaiah's people. But a lot of the world has come in those 3,000 years. And this text is this eternal message of preaching hope into despair and light into darkness. And Isaiah reminds us that God is always there with us. And this story, the story of renewal and making things new is not perfect. But we've all found ways through the desert as a civilization, as humanity, as history. Things aren't perfect, but we are finding a way. So I like that. I like this idea that God from the beginning has made a way. God has marked a path and given to us some instruction about what that path looks like. Which is to say maybe something new and maybe something different is on the horizon. But then I'm, 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 I'm really compelled to say, okay, okay, wait. Which is what Advent actually is, a waiting time. And a waiting time for this sort of deep and ponderous reflection. Right? For us to examine what's really going on and, 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 and why. Why? Why does the world look the way that it looks? And what, if anything, can we do about it so that we don't repeat the same mistakes and leave those mistakes to Clara and Emma to clean up? I love what Sam Wells, a, a theologian, the, the twist that he puts on this text, which is sort of uncomfortable, but I actually like when people make me uncomfortable. Listen to what he says, though. He says, the Babylonian exile is not an accident. And it's not merely the result of geopolitics in the 6th century B.C., it's not like the exodus where the Israelites were victims of slavery. No, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah make no mistake in portraying Israel's time in exile as a time of suffering and sorrow. But the difference, the difference is this. The time in Babylon is self-inflicted sorrow. I mean, that's a really important piece of this text. This is suffering that need not have been. This is suffering that Israel brought on itself by turning away from God's will for God's people. This is suffering that has unfolded because of idolatry, this is suffering that has unfolded because of greed. 
This is suffering that has unfolded because of self-centeredness and conscious negligence of widows, orphans, the homeless, and the poor. Which really is to say, as he writes, these are not realities beyond the control or influence of God's people, which is us. So it is interesting, right? So we, we get launched into Advent and we kind of look forward and we, we want to read these words as comforting and pleasant. Like this very cool thing awaits us in four weeks. And this very cool thing does await us in four weeks. But this is a big mirror that says we must collectively and then individually truly examine our lives. And that's how Advent begins. By this little message in there that says, have we distanced ourselves from the real message? Have we distanced ourselves from this idea that we, we, we are responsible for God's call on our lives? That we have become too blind or self-centered or negligent Neglecting the power of God's message for each one of us. Like I see that even in all the conversations about politics. And I know I hear myself saying things like, I can't believe we're in this position. I cannot believe that we're going to have to choose between Biden and Trump. And then I actually have to consider a very different perspective. I can believe it. In a culture that chases the wrong things, that demonizes the other, that demonizes the immigrant, that demonizes the poor, that demonizes the police, that demonizes anything, depending on where you stand on the spectrum, we get what we've created. amazing letter from Isaiah. <laughs> Stop. Stop. Wait. Wait. Consider. And what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for an unknown mystery to come crashing down? Are we waiting for a joyous Christmas? Maybe those aren't bad things to hope for. But the real, the real message for each one of us is that we're waiting for the incarnation of God. It is each one of us feeling the power and the possibility that lies in the incarnation of God in each one of our lives. 
which is to say the incarnation belongs to each one of us because this message is to land in our bodies. It's to land in our minds. It's to land in our hearts. That God's purposes actually do live inside of each one of us. That we are invited again and again to embody those purposes. I don't know what it looks like, but it needs to look like something. Like take another angel or take two or take three. Just take them until they're gone. <clears throat> Or maybe it's a decision to match every gift you would buy for yourself or your family or your children with the gift that we would give to David McKenna to take to the Bridgeport Projects on Christmas morning. One for one. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like David McKenna would need a U-Haul to go to Bridgeport. <laughs> Why? Because Talmadge Hill believes in the incarnation of the message. That would be amazing. Do you know the story, probably some of you do, of Nicholas George Wertheimer? Anybody know that story? He was born in London in 1909. <clears throat> he was the oldest of three children whose parents, Rudolf and Barbara Wertheimer, were German Jews who converted to Christianity and changed their name to Winton. Nicholas Winton. Nicholas was 29 years old. And in 1939, he organized trains out of Prague to secure the passage of 669 Jewish children. Talk about a straight pass. So they're on a train from Prague to London. Why? To save their lives. 669. They became known as Winton's children. And nobody knew anything about him until the 1980s when his wife found a scrapbook in the attic that had every single child. So in 1988, he was invited as a guest on a live BBC show called That's Life. And in the middle of the show, the host did a very cool thing. She introduced the woman sitting next to him on the front row as one of the children saved in 1939. She embraced him and she thanked him. And then she turned to the whole audience and she says this, does anyone else here owe their life to Sir Winton? Every single person stood up. Every single person stop. And she said, turn around. And he turned around.
and he wept. The incarnation has to look like something. It has to be embodied. It has to take on human form. And that is what's upon us. That is our story. And it may not be a straight path, but I'll tell you something. It is the path back to the promised land. May it be so. Thank you.